Hey, hey, namaste, my fellow Marvelous Nerds. We are the Marvel Mythos Podcast. This is X-Men Fatal Attractions. I am your host, Brian Barley. You can find me on Instagram at Marvel underscore Mythos and on Twitter at Marvel Mythos Pod. Today, we're going to be covering X-Men 24 and then all six parts of Fatal Attractions. It is a whole lot to talk about. And finally, for the love of God, after, what, two-month absence? Two months. Travis is back with me. Zero back, fat, tubicine. <laughs> So I, for, I was I was hoping you'd remember, I, and you did. I will never forget. Uh, so where can they find you on social media? Uh, on Twitter at Russell Special, on Instagram the Russell Special. There's a Facebook that I don't keep up with. You can say words there to me if you want to as well. Awesome. We have a Facebook that no one maintains right now. I have pledged to take care of that. So at one point I will. We're going to get started. X-Men 24, Gambit and Rogue go on their first official date. Rogue is still reeling from the death of Ileana, as is the rest of the team. Gambit tries to convince her they've done nothing but be there for Colossus and mourn the girl. It's time to start living again throughout the dinner. They keep pushing further into deep conversations about their flirtations. Gambit attempts to kiss her, explaining that he knows the hurt they can cause each other is both physical and emotional. Even though she turns away from the kiss, it's a sign he truly cares for her. Banshee returns to the mansion to be there for Moira. They have a nice conversation about starting over. Speaking of returns, Jean picks up Cyclops from the airport and the two embrace on site. Kitty tries to comfort Jubilee, who outside of Colossus is the one suffering the hardest over Ileana. Beast questions why Xavier didn't bring him in to help with the legacy virus. Xavier says it was a lack of knowing if it was even that. Beast tells him he fears they will have many more victims. The two Psylocks have some fun banter with each other about which one is the real Betsy, ultimately acknowledging there's no way to know yet. When Cyclops gets back to the mansion, he tells Xavier about what Sinister said about the legacy virus. Elsewhere, Wolverine comforts Jubilee, Jubilee on the dock as she opens up about being afraid to die. The issue ends with Cyclops and Jean in their bedroom discussing that they need each other and they will be there for each other as the tough times come. This is a comic that for because of my Gambit and Rogue uh, hardcore shipping back in the early 90s. Yes. Gravely remember this, especially the cover. Yes, 100%. Huge fan of the cover. Probably a little less of of the actual issue. Same. I didn't remember any of it, but I remember the cover for sure. Yeah, I remember. It's an iconic cover. Oh, by far. It's it, it's Cuber. It's amazing. Go check it out if you haven't seen it. But I remember the date, and I even remember the part where she almost tells him her name. I do. I do you know what? I do remember that a little bit now, too. Now that you mention it, uh, I'm like, yeah, that, that seems familiar. But everything else was, yeah, just basic, a, was a blur. Yeah. Now, you got to get the important part out of the way, which is, Adam, how can you say Gambit is not the sexiest out of Cyclops and Gambit when you see him in his date attire? He is charming. He could sweep me off my feet any day. And probably you, too. That's how manly Gambit is. He is sexy. <laughs> he is sexy, and he's sexier than, than Cyclops. And that's all I have to say. That's all I'm going to address. Hopefully we can be on an, an episode at some point. Yes, by far, without doubt, the two of you will be on an episode. And at some point, I am hoping and praying it's the Gambit miniseries to hear you two bash it out over whether Gambit is sexy or not. <laughs> I know uh, many, uh, many of females think Gambit is sexy. Yes. But there's another person in this comic that apparently gets a lot of love, too. And you don't think he should. So, okay, let's end this because I was not able to end this thread uh, on the last episode. Uh, and I, I think this is really fitting because you, you get to see a little bit of a juxtaposition between Gene and Cyclops' story and Cyclops' story and how we're kind of moving apart. I feel like this kind of marks the end of the Gene Psylocke uh, Cyclops love triangle. And, 
you know what? I We threw shade on it a lot, okay? So I was thinking back to our first episode, uh, and I feel like we were all like, what is going on? Like when, with the first or second episode, we were like, why is this happening? But from a story continuity perspective, you got to think this is, was a storyline that was woven in through what now? 24 issues. Yeah. Two years, two years. Yep. And they, it kept popping up. There were times during our, our prior episodes where we were like, oh, I guess this is done. And then the next, we would read next month and we were like, oh, it's still here. Yeah. Oh, now she's in a towel. Yeah. There'd be, yeah. And it just kept coming up. And I, I have to like throw it out there that Claremont from Claremont and Jim Lee to Scott Labdell. Yep. Labdell. Yeah. Labdell. Uh, and then Fabian Nipshamson's. Yeah. From through the hands of all these talented writers, you still got to see this through. I do think it was a little bit of a like an abrupt end, but clearly where you have Gene and Cyclops talking about how they're moving forward and Cyclops only apologizing for leaving <laughs> and not anything else. Like literally he's like, I'm sorry I left Gene. Oh. And then that butted up probably on purpose, but against the, the Psylocke's having their kind of training session and banter, it really shows that there was this diverging path and, I knowing what's coming forward when we talk about iconic covers, there's one coming up here in the next, probably next episode that, or the uh, episode so. after that. It's either the next one or the one right after. Yeah. It's so confusing. Uh, but that we're going to be addressing. It's very clear that they're moving on from this. So I just wanted to, to shout that storyline out because maybe I didn't love everything about it. Maybe it was confusing at times, but credit where credits due. They told a story behind the scenes through all this different stuff and uh, credit to all those guys. And I wonder if the intent of him going to Alaska was actually to get closure because you see when uh, he actually married Madeline Pryor. Yes. That was her name, not Pryor. Pryor to this, he married Madeline Pryor. (laughs) It's awful. God, that's awful. (laughs) Oh, I might bring Madeline up later. And he had, and he had a child, Nathan, and then Gene is found alive and he leaves. He leaves the wife and kid to go hang out with Gene. And there was like a constant struggle from what I read in X factor where he was like, I can't be with Gene because I have a wife and kid. I can't believe I even came and joined X factor right now with my wife and kid at home. So there was this constant tension there. Eventually it turns out she's, you know, sinister's creation or whatever. And so I wonder if there's still that struggle within him about being committed to Gene, given the way that he started to see Gene again. Okay. After X Factor. And I almost feel like maybe the intent of him going to see his grandparents to tell them about Madeline and Nathan was his sense of getting closure. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I think that first off, uh, I'm I'm glad I didn't have to talk about all the Cyclops from last episode. Oh. But I, I think you're right. I think that him revisiting that it, it was it was closing the door on that and uh, i didn't really understand all the madeline stuff uh, so I, before and i got bits and pieces but i'm glad you kind of brought it all together for me because i almost had like three images of it and then didn't have the full picture so mm. because of what you just said now i do now have the, the full picture so i appreciate that yeah yeah so i think that might be what the intent was there and also we're talking about whether or not he's He's as sexy as Gambit. Jordan White, who is the current editor for X-Men, had this to say on today's X-Men Monday. 
It is, it is not possible for Cyclops to stay single for a year. He radiates a sexuality made out of concentrated angst, and no matter where he goes or what he does, he cannot stay single. At a school with one woman in it, he hooks up, becomes a boat captain, he hooks up, moves to Alaska, he hooks up, leaves his wife and son, he hooks up. He stands over his wife's grave. Immediately after her death, he hooks up. It's physically impossible. So... so which is it? Is Cyclops a sex god, or is he a good? <laughs> is he a good person? Definitely not a good person when okay. you describe it in that e- manner. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So he must he must be some kind of god of sex. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, all I'm going to say about that, and who was that? Who said that? Jordan White. He's the current editor for X Men. Okay. So I mean, he has some he has some credibility there. Jordan <laughs> no, White he didn't say that Gambit was not sexier. Okay. He just said that Cyclops is very sexy. Okay. Hey, that's, we're not arguing, even though I don't think Cyclops is very sexy at all, unless you like <laughs> Boy Scouts. That I was a Boy Scout too, and I, I'm even annoyed by it. So I, I don't think Cyclops... Any, I, okay, I'll give him the, the win on this one because he didn't say anything about Gambit. If he does answer a question about Cyclops versus Gambit, who's sexier, we might have to throw down. Okay, I'll, I'll posit that question on the next X-Men Monday. Okay, so we're going to rapid fire this one because it pertains the least to everything else. Yeah. Other things about this issue that you wanted to cover? There's there's not much. I, I really wanted to, to wrap up um, the whole triangle but I, I think the other big thing for me the the gambit and rogue dinner was nice i really liked the psychology behind them not kissing and uh, gambit really you really really get a sense for and I'm, I'm totally fanboying but like you you start to see the, like the the vulnerability behind him and he's still the mysterious bad boy but you know he actually genuinely cares about rogue and she comments on like not knowing a lot about him him being married to belladonna all, all this stuff and it it really seems like he's willing to sacrifice whatever even his health to show rogue how much he cares and and have that physical contact with her. But I think the fact that not having that physical contact and uh, Remy being okay with that is very similar to, you know, people that you've, you've been there on a date or uh, dating somebody where they're like, well, I don't, I'm not ready to, to take this to the next level. And I think that it kind of mirrors that with just with mutant powers instead of, uh, you know, like morality or whatever. Yeah. And he, and he handles it very graciously. He does, which is not what you'd expect from what you normally see, at least the, the image that he portrays of himself to others. Right. The one thing I would like to point out though, is that he actually says he knows they can cause each other physical pain, but it's the emotional pain as well. Yes. Yes. Clearly he's getting invested. It, It doesn't come off as just a line. It's he's really invested in this woman. And obviously now how things played out, we know that he clearly meant it. The other thing that I kind of liked was seeing Banshee come back for Moira. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because we'd kind of saw that whole scenario play out. I think it was like X-Men three or four when she left. And then uh, Banshee, I guess, has been searching for her for the mo- uh, for the better part of that entire time. And now that she's at Xavier's, he's come to, to be there with her yes. in this difficult time. And then Wolverine and Jubilee on the dock. I thought that was very, very impactful. Yeah, especially... Not to spoil anything, but like the backdrop, like it's I'm glad you included it in 
the Fatal Attraction storyline because even though there's no connection, it's like the calm before the storm and has a lot of perspective for the end of Fatal Attractions too. So it's mm. it's really good. I, I think it's Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I it I it always seems like you accidentally do this stuff. Because <laughs> I do, and that's no shade on you, <laughs> but I think because it like just works out perfectly. And I think that this is another case of of this. Dang, dude. Thank you for finding that correlation and making me feel good about how I broke this out. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next issue is X-Factor 92. It's officially the first one in Fatal Attractions. A survivor of an acolyte attack on a hospice recollects the horrifying events to Valerie Cooper, who is the mutant liaison for the government. uh, He tells these events to Havoc and Quicksilver as well. They then visit the prisoner they managed to get from the attack. His name is Spool. He's defiant or spore spore. I have, I have spore written, but I thought it might have, it is spore, but I think there was something wrong there, but yeah, it's <laughs> well, you spore. said spool. So I'm like, Oh, I thought mine. in the book it said spool, but yeah. then in the next other books, it's spore. Well, I just realized that I, I was thinking, I was like, well, mine auto corrected that to spore. So, but I, <laughs> I, it, I do have spore. So it's spore. Okay. Yeah. It's totally spore because it was mutant power. Uh, he's defiant and argumentative until Quicksilver walks into the room. Then he bows and tells them that the acolytes are headed for Cape Hayden and Kentucky shout out. Yeah. Kentucky. That's right. Instead of enlisting X factor for the mission, Valerie takes Quicksilver and a bounty hunter named random. Was that my action figure or it yours? Was, it was yours and you were missing the missile. Oh, dang it. Uh, this doesn't sit well with Havoc, so he and the rest of X-Factor follow them. When Val, Quicksilver, and Random get to Cape Hayden, we find Senator Kelly there and learn that the government has been building Sentinels. Awesome. There are multiple points made about the Acolytes justifying the fears of the humans and thus leading to this governmental decision. After Valerie reveals this to Quicksilver and Random, the rest of X-Factor show up. The anger at their friend and government leader Valerie is put on hold as the Acolytes storm the facility. The two teams literally battle for eight pages. For much of the fight, we are led to believe the acolytes are there to destroy the sentinels during the battle senator kelly is saved by wolfsbane but he still initiates an escape plan for himself and the sentinels were also witness we also witness fabian cortez attempting to coax quicksilver into becoming their leader because he is the heir to magneto quicksilver gets a tang- angry at this and attacks cortez amelia fought does her missed power whatever transubstantiation <laughs> to teleport all of the acolytes out of the facility we then witness valerie cough up something that the acolytes implanted in her which manipulated her to bring Quicksilver there. Uh, with her involvement in the governmental uh, Sentinel program, the team rightly feels betrayed and walk out on her as she sits alone, weeping uncontrollably. Okay. The history there didn't mean much to me because I'm not a... I know you've read a lot of X-Factor, but like Val and them together, like it didn't... The betrayal wasn't go, <gasps> for me, as yeah. much as it probably was meant to be, uh, but I still felt the impact of it. Especially with the way that she's in tears at the end of it. Yeah. You still feel emotion. But I, I think really what I remember most about this issue, and I felt this way about the first two, like X-Factor and then X-Force. It, and this is not uh, an indictment on them. I think this happens when you're getting into anything of an event. These really were the build. It's like that part of the roller coaster where you're going, you're not you're not at the precipice and you don't have that feeling of, Oh my God, what is happening? And it's not the free fall either. Yep. It's just this build to it. And it's not that I disliked the, the issues because I think you get a lot of quicksilver. Like this issue was necessary because of quicksilver for later on. Uh, but the biggest thing that I took away was the, the hospice massacre oh, and man. how messed up that was. And it really, it really bothered me. 
uh, you know, it just based off of some of the stuff that I've told you, you know, with uh, recording my show, you know, like hospice is a scary place, but it's also a place for to, a place where you die with dignity. And that, the it was poetic how they were describing it. This nurse that was on her deathbed by Sanyaka and just it, it really impacted me. Uh, as far as like a, a kicking off the issue. Yeah, it's warped and messed up in a way that uh, that caught me off guard, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't expect to open Fatal Attractions with a, a hospice massacre. <laughs> right? Yeah. Me either. So they do an excellent job establishing how brutal these acolytes are without the direction of Magneto. Yes. Because right now, they're still under Fabian Cortez's rule. And then we get a, a shot of him in a throne basically with one of the other acolytes at his feet groveling for the, what it seems like anyway. Yeah. And so we get this where he's really taken into this, like being the leader or the savior, which we'll get to later is not the only one who struggles with that complex, (laughs) but the, the battle is, is I thought it was a really well drawn battle. I thought it was an interesting battle. Uh, even if it did span for eight pages, I guess. Yeah, it was a little heavy. It was not heavy in like, a, oh, this is emotional, but like in a, okay, I, I guess just maybe because I was like, let's let's move on to the real meat of it. I think I was less entertained and it just seemed like it was, it, the, it, I, I knew exactly what it was. It was just kind of, kind of like the throwaway to get you started. Similar to um, an executioner song, the X Force X Factor battle. Oh yeah, where I was like, let's just get the, let's get this over with. Let's, See, let's go. And, and it's going to naturally come up when we compare the two, or we're going to naturally compare the two because they were so close to each other. Yeah, and I think that was the last one you and I were on together. Yes, anyway. it is. It is. Yeah, but, event to event. Yeah, but I feel like the battles in this made way more sense than half the battles that took place in that one. I a hundred percent agree. Those were completely filler. I feel like the, so for those of you who haven't read fatal attractions, every single epi- issue is at least one and a half times the normal size yes. of an issue. Yeah. Most of them are double. I think if not, they're at least one and a half times. So they are huge issues. They've crammed a lot into it. And, and instead of pushing that out to 12, I think it was a smart move to just make every single one of them larger. I think this was like the 30th anniversary for X-Men. It was. Yes. So that's why I think all this is happening as far as cramming it into single issues. But even then I don't feel like the battles were a waste. Some of the dialogue maybe was a bit much. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think there was to your point and maybe to like go back on mine a little bit. I I think that, you're right. There was always something at stake. Even if I knew, obviously, that this wasn't going to end at X Factor in the first issue of Fatal Attractions, I think that the fact that you introduce the Sentinels and you kind of get the idea of the backdrop of, and as you find out, Magneto being behind stuff, like the backdrop is set with this issue because there's that fear of mutants still after all this time, you still have this, these contingency plans, uh, the Magneto protocol, and you have yeah. the, the sentinels that, you know, so there's all these contingency plans. And I think that really is a good, um, lead in to what happens. So maybe my feelings more about X factor or X force, <laughs> honestly, because while I liked that, it was, I, I felt like it was, there was less of a place for it. Yeah. I, I would probably be inclined to agree, especially once we start talking about it. Yeah. I, was this the first one that showed the Magneto Protocol's name? Um, I'm, I don't believe so. I think that happens later. I, I feel like so that's too. an Uncanny or or X Men. No, I think it's an Uncanny. Um, 
I don't even know if it's the 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 name of the plan that that includes the sentinels. Is it, is it all the same protocol or the sentinels I think there part were, of it? I think there were phases of the protocol. Yeah, and so I then, think sentinels were part of that protocol. They may not have called it the Magneto protocol then, because that you they talk about mixing like Master Mold with Nimrod yeah. stuff. So like, which I guess would be the because Nimrod the whole thing was that he was not metal. Correct? He can adapt to yeah. power sets, so he didn't have. Yeah, they didn't have to. You, Magneto wasn't a, much of a concern because it with Sentinels you just rip them apart. Oh, yeah. but with Nimrod it was a little bit different. Uh, so before we move on to the next one, I want to talk about a couple of parts in the fight, or at least one specifically. I don't know. I guess this thing's name was Melon Camp. It's one of the acolytes. It's like a green alien like thing. I, I guess th- this thing's name is Melon Camp. I don't know. It could just be a word that Madrix is saying. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I, I I think that's its name, and it's one I think that Matt actually pointed out before about loving the way that he looked because he was an actual unique-looking acolyte. Mm. His death, dude. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, which one was it? It's the it's like the green alien thing that's fighting multiple men. Oh, yeah. Messed up. Dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. I do know. Yes, that is messed up. So for those who aren't aware of what happened, he's this this green alien type thing this mutant acolyte is on top of multiple men and he's got his fingers in his eyes pulling a freaking mountain on oberon yeah and all of a sudden multiple man shoves his hand into the thing's mouth and then hits the ground to cause a dupe to come out and so the dupe explodes from inside of this thing destroying it immediately so messed up and so cool dude like that instantly made me go all right i might want to read this multiple man miniseries right Same. now like, yeah like it, it's like okay well and that was the other thing it's like it we brought multiple man up in another episode where him his one of his multiples was fall fell in love with some somebody like when he was in the hospital yep uh and this is the same thing it's just like to think that all of these multiple men have their own personalities have their own wants needs desires and then also eyeballs that can get plucked out like it's really messed up it's like it's enough to give me an existential crisis if i think too hard on it (laughs) like it's like what what kind of life is that yeah yeah for real and the other thing before we move on that i would like to call out is when wolf spain actually saves senator kelly yes it's very reminiscent of times inside of the tv show when they would save humans and be like see we're not all bad yes so, even though she threatens him yeah like, she i mean that's wolf spain yeah she's she's at the end she's like and if you don't do the right thing i'm going to kill you basically yep yep and uh the last thing obviously we talked a little bit earlier about val's remorse valerie's remorse yes joe caseta does a fantastic job penciling this with her tears streaming down her face and you can actually see the disappointment in x factor primarily quicksilver and then her face as as they all leave her. Any other thoughts on that one? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it. Okay, awesome. Uh, next up, we have X-Force 25. It opens with X-Force returning to their base of operations after having rescued Rusty and Skids. Uh, essentially, there's somebody that's infiltrated the camp, and they all break out into different groups, and each group is picked off until at the very end when uh, cannonball actually jumps the person that's been doing this. And it turns out to be cable. Uh, he learned that, um, 
he tells them that he was inside of the time stream and he's been all over through time and he's learned that each of the members of this team are important for his life and they all mend fences. Afterwards, Cable analyzes Rusty and Skids. These are the people that uh, that X-Force had saved previously, learning that their brains have specific neural tissue implants from strife. Uh, he opens up about having a son named Tyler and, a, and then a brief summary of his history. Then Exodus arrives. He requests Cannonball and Sunspot to come for a meeting with his master, one who is trying to convert Xavier's second generation team. The Cannonball says he'll go if a few others go. Exodus agrees, and before they leave, Cannonball places a comm link on Tracer's shoulder for them to follow. As the rest of the issue unfolds, we learn that Exodus has taken Cannonball and a few others to Magneto, who has not only taken over Cable Space Station Gray Malkin, but completely overhauled it. We learned that uh, Magneto is offering mutants the opportunity to live there, a place of heaven for mutant kind. Rusty and Skids take the offer because he cures them. The rest respect what Magneto is doing, even though they decide to turn him down. Cable isn't satisfied with that alone. He body slides the team to the space station, and then uh, he goes after the ship CPU to save his AI professor, and then auto-detonate the ship. After saving the AI, Magneto confronts him, rips apart the mechanical half of his body, body, and then Cable body slides to the rest of the team. His plan to reveal Magneto's true nature to the team worked. Yeah, which is awesome. Uh, So I I guess maybe... I felt I felt like this issue was pretty much just like, hey, Cable's back, and also Gray Malkin is Avalon, like just to like kind of tie up that loose end, like because I don't feel like really Cable played a huge part um, in this issue aside from just being like, hey, the the whole thing is Cable's back and setting up, I guess, Magneto's want to be an arc for all the mutants, you know? So he goes after, uh, so first off Exodus's first appearance was an X factor, right? Yes. When they're looking out the window and he's just sitting there and does nothing. Yep. So that was his first appearance period, right? Um, Exodus is somebody that I, I was surprised this was his first appearance, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah, it might've been. Cause he was first. an acolyte. I mean, has Exodus done much outside of this? No. I mean, well, eventually, yeah, he kind of takes over, but I don't, I don't remember when his first appearance was. It might have been. I feel like it was just like, oh, hey, I'm floating outside of your ship uh, in X Factor prior. Like it was almost foreshadowing for him. But um, I, the thing that was weird to me is I don't remember Cable being this sentimental. Is that something that happens in X Force? I guess. I mean, I've seen him be a little sentimental before with Hope and yeah. Scott. Uh, so for those who don't know, Hope is someone that he raises as his daughter. So I think he has that nature in him. It's just difficult to pull it out of him. It just was weird to see the comparing the two again, the cable from Executioner Song mm. and the cable here, where it's just kind of like, oh, I love everyone. And oh, I'm so proud of you, Sam. And it's not that I dislike cable. It's just I, I was not ready for that to, to, to access that part of cable, I guess, just based off of what. I know of him as a character and what I gleaned from him from Executioner Song. Yeah, the the Executioner Song version doesn't really feel like it would do this. But I guess if you've spent a few months in the time stream going back and forth, or we don't know, maybe he's in it for years and he just hops out right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, maybe. Yeah, yeah so well, that's thing, a good point because you, you don't you just don't know how long. I mean, that's like where you start to get in some Doctor Who stuff where you're like, who knows, <laughs> who knows how long he was gone and how long he was gone to him. 
you know, he maybe he was gone for a year in our our timeline and our our view, but maybe he was gone for a thousand years. You yeah, know? I mean, we're talking in the future ones where he literally raises this girl from infancy to seventeen years old, and then comes back like six months after they left. Wow, so, yeah, that's messed up. Yeah, so like that. Okay, existential crisis number two. <laughs> So we don't know exactly how long he's been in the time stream, but he's been in it long enough to to apparently care about X-Force a little bit more than when he went in. Uh, this, to me, felt like the entire issue was, like you said, about bringing Cable back into it, even though he doesn't really do anything for Fatal Attractions. Yeah. And then also to get Magneto's intent. Yes. So we kind of start to learn, like, I guess this is the first real reveal that Magneto is still alive. Yes. And his intent is to recruit x-men specifically to get at charles which i want to say he kind of said like i want you to see that your dream was dead yeah a hundred percent yeah he definitely says that in issue three so to see him actually going out of his way to make that happen is is kind of i guess the intent here and greg is it capullo is that how you say it yeah so that's the other thing art in this entire thing is more or less amazing yeah i agree it doesn't matter who's doing it which which issue it is it's great I think it's kind of funny that there's a little brief skirmish between Richter and Shatterstar because I'm pretty sure they date in the future. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I'm pretty sure it's them. So I thought that was kind of funny, almost like a little foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Outside of that, dude, X-Force was, I don't know, maybe the weakest. Yeah, I, I think so. I think really the only thing other I have to say about it is just in... The, the preamble to Cable getting ripped apart on his own volition to show his team what Mag- – like if there yeah. was any doubt was Magneto saying that they could have coexisted. This was after like Cable had already kind of pulled his screwy stuff and sent the team away and Magneto's kind of mad and he's going to say, you know, this we, we, we could have coexisted. We could have passed each other. Like we could have passed each other mm. on our different paths, which I think is cool where it's like Magneto clearly respects – yeah, cable. You know the entity that is cable, and and understands the threat he could pose. But if they weren't uh, on opposing sides, it would just they would just be acknowledging each other. I could just imagine them just nodding at each other and passing. Yeah, like walking almost to the same destination, but on different like sidewalks or something. Exactly, and just looking at each other, nodding. And, yeah, yeah. But, but I do agree. It, it probably was the weakest of all of them, just because it felt the most out of place, I guess. But I think it, I think it, again, it just, it's that click, 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 click part of the roller coaster where it's just, now you see the, the fact that he's trying to recruit and no offense to X-Force and anybody who loves X-Force people, because then the next things you see are people that he tries to recruit that you actually care about. And, I mean, and for the fans of X-Force or X-Factor, maybe this would have been different. Yes. But I, I don't think, I, I guess at the same time, I don't think, that anybody cares about those characters near as much as they do Gambit, Rogue, Wolverine, Cyclops, unfortunately. <laughs> All of those people, like I think the gravity, I think this was just kind of like the taste to where you really get kind of hit in the stomach in the next episode and have to, or not that the, the next issue. So you have to see you have to see these people that you have come to love and respect have this moral dilemma of what do I do? Yeah, and I and I think what you also see here is a level of viciousness from Magneto that isn't always shown. 
because sometimes he's a little more reserved in how he handles things. And he's clearly angry to a point that we rarely see him. Yeah. And this is what happens when he gets that angry that he just rips apart cables, cybernetic parts. Although I'm really confused because I thought it was the techno organic virus. Same. I don't under I don't understand. But maybe Magneto can, because he, what does he say? Well, because of entering the electromagnetic field that he has more powers, his powers are amped. He says that later on. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. That- well, I'm also leaning towards the, they've retconned the TO virus into cable and he was originally just a robot yeah. or cyborg. <laughs> maybe that's, yeah. that's how I'm reading it. But the shot of him getting it ripped off is fantastic. It it's is page 39. If you want to check it out. And then, uh, yeah, I don't really have any more to add on that particular issue. Any final thoughts before we move on to, uh, I think it's uncanny, uncanny 304. No, I don't. And I guess before you even get to that, uh, if you are reading along and are like, why are you about to talk to uncanny 304? Then you're reading the comics in the wrong order. And Brian and I had this conversation (laughs) because marvel.com of all places lists. If you just Google, uh, fatal attractions reading order it shows it out of order so it does go uncanny 304 then x-men yes thank you for calling that out yes it took me because i try not to read these and get spoiled so i didn't know entirely what order it was to to be in and i looked it up and i literally found like four different supposedly official reading orders and i'm like what is happening and knowing what happens in 25 versus what would what happens in 304 i would have been like what <laughs> wait i say what now yeah and i don't see how you could flip like uh 75 and excalibur either yeah but that also happened yeah. in some of the reading orders Agre- yeah you there's no way you could have flipped 75 no yeah. there's no beca- no uh, excalibur excalibur 71 is definitely the epilogue yeah. so you're right yeah sorry go ahead that's okay uncanny x-men 304 it starts with a prologue exodus has gone to the acolytes and told them that magneto is alive and that cortez is the one who tried to kill him they join exodus and he infects cortez with the legacy virus leaving him to a slow and miserable death nice work on the eve of Ileana's memorial service, we were shown several X-Men struggling with her death. Xavier questioning himself in the mirror in a holographic transmission of Lalandra attempting to comfort him. Magneto on his new Avalon, on his new Avalon, remembering the death of his daughter Anya and the subsequent humans he slaughtered. Storm attempting to comfort Kitty over the loss of her best friend, then Kitty trying to comfort Colossus when she sees him burning his paintings. At the memorial service, Storm delivers the eulogy. Within minutes afterwards, Magneto shows up. He says he is there to offer them salvation, and then Exodus arrives with the Acolytes, learning they attacked a hospice without his knowledge. While approving of the attack, he still kills Sinyaka? That's how I say it, yeah. Yeah, because order must be maintained. Then by controlling the iron in their blood, he prevents the X-Men from attacking him. Following this, he brings his station, the repurposed Grey Malkin, to hover overhead of them, sending the Acolytes to board it he then asks xavier to try his method as he once tried xavier's asking them to come to avalon with him not realizing by controlling the x-men in place he inadvertently charged bishop to max level which causes him to erupt a massive blast in magneto gene begins to hold gray malkin together knowing it's only held together by magneto and their attack on him jeopardizes that as bishop continues to attack him colossus hits bishop from behind he chooses to side with Magneto after everything that's happened. He joins the Acolytes on Grey Malkin. This pushes Xavier over the edge, and he takes mental control over Magneto and expunges him and Avalon from Earth. 
this was yeah this was the first issue where i'm like whoa whoa this was just absolutely phenomenal and this is where i this is the last episode where i'm still like oh no magneto's a badass and then it starts to turn into i i'm not down with this anymore like i'm not down with this i'm not i'm not down with magneto's vision anymore because i think he's he was always a little bit relatable uh in the term of well, I can see some logic in what he's saying. And I can't say as a human, um, if I really look hard at myself, that I can't say if I felt threatened, I wouldn't have taken up arms in the same way Magneto has. I wouldn't have approved of an attack on hospice. Uh, but I think that's, I guess that's the difference between a terrorist and a, and somebody that uh, you know, thinks that they're doing the right thing. But a terrorists think they're doing the right thing all the time anyway. Yeah. But uh, I think for me, the biggest thing was that, Magneto is what you, what you said. And I, I commented on it a little bit when you were doing it, when you said, walk, try to walk my path as I walked, I tried walking yours to Xavier. And that's where I'm like that. This is the last, I feel like the last threads of Magneto trying to reach out. And, and Xavier is almost like at this mental breaking point on top of Ileana, Ileana's death. It's just, it's so, so good. Such a good issue. It's, Dude, I, I cannot believe for the life of me that back in the day reading these that I remember the X-Men line more than Uncanny because as we're reading this, I'm like, holy crap, Uncanny yep. is so consistently good. It is, yeah. Like, it's... it's Well, it's, and, and I was thinking about, you're talking about reading it when we were younger. It's weird, the stuff that we didn't understand as kids, <laughs> you know? And we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air. You know, Magneto's been through the literal Holocaust. He lost yeah. his daughter. They talk, you don't really get an idea of what happened, but you know that the town, something happened and this town basically prevented him from saving his daughter. I don't know if it was a fire or something, but he insinuates that he killed the whole town. Yeah. He, he it levels a town because of his, the accidental manifestation of his power and then kills these people that go hunting after him. And it's just like, whoa. Yeah. So this the, is way dark. The town was an accident. Yeah. And then the people hunting after him was not an accident. Not an accident. And he makes the guy kill his friends and then kill himself. Yes. Like, it, it's so dark. And I, how are we reading this? <laughs> it is super dark. And, and we were young. I uh, mean, I remember reading X-Men comics in third grade. Yeah. I mean, I, was, I would have been, what, like nine or ten when this came out? Yeah. So I, I cannot possibly imagine that I understood the scope at all of right. what, was, what was being put on the page in front of me. And... Now I'm reading it. I'm like, gosh, dude, this is so heavy. This is so deep. Yes, there's a ton of dialogue in these. I'm not going to lie to you. That's probably the only thing that I would find to complain about Fatal Attraction. Really? I did not care. I was invested. Now, I'm not saying I cared. I'm saying there's so much in it that for people, they might have had a problem with it. So... Like in that sense, I can see where it would be a mark. We'll get the ratings here in a little bit, and, you, and you'll see. It's a minor inconvenience, <laughs> but the art in this one was crazy because there were what like four or five different artists. I think yes. on this one, yeah, there was like Jay Lee and gosh, dude, um, John Romita Jr. Yep, and I think was one of the oh man, well, who was it? Brandon Peterson? I think was oh, Brandon involved. Peterson. Yes, 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 yes. yes. There all kinds of them, and to, as I'm reading it. I know when I stop and I look at it, I can tell the difference. But when I was reading it, I never felt jarred 
moving from one to the other. Me either. I, I didn't either. There were some times where I was like, oh, this might be a different. Oh, wow. What, what is happening now? Yeah. Like, I, I, I feel like I was subconsciously knowing it was a different artist, but it didn't matter. Yeah. And that can't always be the case. Like, I've seen so many that have had multiple artists on it, and it stands out so jarringly different that I can't tolerate it. But it was like the stuff fit, like Jay Lee's stuff being Magneto's past. Yes. So it clearly yes. fit what was being shown. Yeah, and it was such a good call because Jay Lee doing that that's those scenes was great. It, it really reflected the tone. Yes, for sure. I mean, we've got Jay Lee, Chris Sprouse, Brandon Peterson, Paul Smith, and Ramita Jr. It was insane. And it was it was it's like a murderer's row of of artists. Yes, it's and, so good. And between like Capullo's art and the previous one, Ramita's here, and then some of the other ones that do Magneto in this, I'm trying to figure out which Magneto I like the most. I am struggling. Yeah, I am. I am too. I, I still. I feel like it's Ramita, but I'm not. I don't know. I, I can't really put a stamp on that. But, I know. Well, there's so many good shots. I mean, Magneto's a star here. Xavier's a star here. But like the two people I want to talk about the most before we move on are Colossus and Bishop. Yes, please let's uh, do Bishop. Okay, way more powerful than I ever knew. Like, I knew he was powerful. And, I mean, I knew even when we were playing action figures, Bishop was always a game changer because he could just take the energy and shoot it back at you. Yep. But, like, him being the game changer and him being part of the reason that everyone survived this and the reason they were able to break from the magnetic hold, it it was insane. Like, I just, I never realized Bishop was this powerful. I am thinking of one comic that we will probably read in a year. Okay. That's the one I remember showing me yeah. how powerful he is. But to your point, like it's clearly sown. The seeds are clearly sown here too. It's an, I just didn't, is he like an Omega level mutant? I don't honestly know. I the feel like Omega it, thing confuses me because <laughs> some of them I look at it and I'm like, you shouldn't be an Omega. Like I get it. You're extremely powerful, but you're not as powerful as that person. Right. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just never, I never knew if he was an Omega level mutant, but I guess, I, I feel like if anybody was going to be, it would be him. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Storm's an Omega. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think, uh, I think Xavier is, Magneto, Those Jean all Grey. make sense. Those all make sense. Storm, I guess, does make sense. I just never knew. Yeah. But Gene, uh, psychics are easier for me to believe are Omega because especially Gene and, and, prof like it was just like oh, okay okay so and then colossus yes holy crap the scene with him in the paintings yeah this dude's going through it and that <sighs> so this was my only i don't think i really talk much crap about uh cyclops uh the rest of I'm, I'm going to talk much crap about him the rest of this episode because partially he's not in this much but <laughs> this is this is where like so he's going through it he's burning pictures of his family and uh, what Colossus starts to get angry, you know, at the memorial and funeral. And there's, it's when he's going to talk to professor Xavier and Cyclops is like, Aurora, I think something's brewing. <laughs> and then he goes over and tries to intervene. And, and like I, I wrote in my notes, it's like only I can have personal crises. <laughs> it's only me. I'm going to leave everyone, my post, my girlfriend, and I'm going to go to Alaska. And I'm the only one that gets to go through things. The man, he is burning paintings of his family and his dead baby sister. Let the man question his, what he's been doing. So I wonder if it was more of him trying to stop the questioning or him trying to protect Xavier. Uh, yeah. Well, I wonder if he's trying to protect Xavier, then I don't think he's a good leader because I don't think 
at his angriest, I don't really expect Colossus to punch Xavier's face off. Now, and I think that Colossus is owed the answers yeah. from Professor Xavier. I think he's owed that. And I, I just was, it was a small annoyance, but I'm just like, <laughs> really? Like, and maybe it's more against the, the writers than that, like, because I feel like they insist on putting Cyclops in this box of like, yes, I'm Cyclops. Yeah, they honestly, it feels more that way in all of this that we've been reading than stuff I read in the 70s, stuff I read in the 80s. Stuff I've read in the two thousands, like this is what I used to always think of was with Cyclops. Sure, it leans in. It I feel like they're really leaning into it, and it it must have been because this time where it was like Wolverine, like was the the alpha, you know, like I, I just can see them looking for the foil of Wolverine. Wolverine, and you, we talk about Gambit and Cyclops, Wolverine and Cyclops that you clearly have the built in heat because of the, the love triangle with Jean. You have all that there, but Wolverine is really the antithesis of Cyclops. Uh, Cyclops is uh, strategic and he's controlled. He has a, a visor to control the uncontrollable, right? He's meticulous. Wolverine is in some time, sometimes depicted as a feral animal is reckless, is just unafraid to die because he really can't. And it's just like, I I think that they really lean heavy into this and this is a good example. And, and I don't, I have a lot of fun making fun of Cyclops (laughs) uh, and it's become kind of my thing, but I I really, I I really do think there's some redeeming things of him, but they really lean heavy in this moment. I'm just like, shut up, dude. Yeah. I can I can agree with you. This is one of the times Cyclops is not right, and it's just like so. I, but I, I think that that's just more uh, illustrates the the reason why Colossus joins Magneto is because he's like I your viewpoint is not fitting my, mine anymore. I made a mistake, and I need to figure my my stuff out. And yeah, I, at the scene where he, Colossus is just hovering up to Avalon. It's just like, you really, uh, it's heart wrenching. These comics made me feel a lot. And it, and it's, it's just, it's like, again, a gut punch that, that I talked about in X-Force where they were teasing those, those defections. This is the one that hurts. Like, this is the one that's like, really Colossus. But after everything he's gone through, man, it makes perfect sense. I remember reading these, a young age and thinking, why in the world was Colossus going to Magneto? Made no sense to me. Yeah. Reading this, I'm like, holy crap, how long have they been planning for Colossus to be the one to jump ship? Sowing the seeds for a long time. Years, man. Like when you think about how long they've gone back, I mean the whole, um, well, since we've been reading stuff. Yeah. Like it's literally years of plotting to make this happen. And you talked about his paintings. Did you realize they're the ones that he painted? Yeah. That's yes. gosh, dude. it's even, that's even worse. I know. Like, like it's even, it's even worse. So it's like, you know, he's going through it, but I think those were the two Bishop and Colossus or what I took away. And this is really the, the last time that I I'm like holding on. Cause I love Magneto. And I, I the last time where I'm like holding on to those threads of like, you're starting to cross this line, bro, that you're <laughs> going to lose me. And that this is where this pretty much happened. This you know? is, this is the line that I remember solidifying Magneto as my favorite villain. Yeah. Not as the Magneto that I relate to and want to be on my team. This is where I'm, this is what I remember being. Magneto is my favorite villain of all time on anything. He's a bad guy. 
he's this this is this is a villain like this is not just like i disagree with his execution but agree with his points no he's lost his mind yep and the shot of xavier finally losing his control on page 41 uh when he's going into that psychic battle with magneto it's it's beautiful it's amazing yeah cannot praise the art in this enough and any other thoughts before we move on to one of my favorite comics of all time? No, let's go to also one of my favorite comics <laughs> of all time. And also I remember the holographic card, like the, this cover, oh, man. man, I just, it, I, I've got to go buy this. I've got to go buy this issue. Cause I remember you having it in your filing cabinet. Like yep. I remember it there. And that just like, uh, I should have brought it. I almost brought it. Cause I actually have it signed by Nitsieta now. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Almost okay. brought it. Yeah. So X-Men 25, forgive me, this one's a little lengthier than the other ones. (laughs) (laughs) A lot happens. Yeah. Given recent events, the president institutes the Magneto Protocols, which uses satellites and other tech to surround the Earth with a protective mesh of electromagnetic fire. Magneto sees it as an attack. He inspects it, learning that it altered Earth's EM field. He cannot allow it to prevent him from recruiting mutants to Avalon, so he hits Earth with a pulse that causes a blackout throughout the planet. The X-Men are the only ones with power, thanks to Shi'ar technology. It's their scapegoat. It's It does everything. It's their force. Yeah, yes. exactly. That's it. Xavier assembles a strike team to go to Avalon and take down Magneto once and for all. He will lead the team in the field by using an exoskeleton from Shi'ar Tech. His team is Wolverine, Gambit, Gene, Rogue, and Quicksilver. He leaves the rest of the X-Men behind because he intends his mission to be a suicide one and wants them to carry on the dream. They then use the Shi'ar Tech to teleport directly onto Avalon. Once aboard, we see Colossus change the security settings which allows the X-Men not to flag as intruders. Quicksilver loads a disc into a computer terminal that's directly connected to main control board. Since most of the tech on this is stolen Shi'ar tech from the mansion, Xavier knows just what to do with it. He uses it to teleport all the acolytes into escape pods and then jettisons them into space, leaving them with just Magneto to deal with. The X-Men take turns fighting Magneto to provide distractions. As Gene and Xavier work on his mind, reminding him of all his horrific moments of failure, his parents, Doug Ramsey, his children, Cortez, it's working until Gene questions the morality of it after Wolverine slashes Magneto open. This momentary lack of manipulation from Gene leads to an enraged Magneto, ripping the adamantium skeleton from Wolverine's body. This pushes Xavier to the brink, and he goes mentally ballistic on Magnus, in which he takes away his, quote, Greatest weapons, his hatred, his ego, his nightmares. I took them all. I took his mind away from him. This leaves Xavier collapsed, magneto vegetative, and Wolverine barely surviving thanks to Gene's telekinetic and telepathic abilities. Colossus reveals himself, saying he called Bishop to come get them, and he tends or he stays to tend to Magneto. Hmm. Holy crap! What an issue! Right, right. Uh, so, like the first thing, it was it to start. What a dark thought to see anyone prepare for their death, but Charles assembling his team t- and wants to kill Magneto. And in my notes, it says, of course, Cyclops doesn't want that, um, <laughs> but one, he wants them to stay behind. So the dream can continue. He's prepared to die. And again, that's always something that we, we you know, we talked about that in executioner song, how that X factor issue that meant so much to me, uh, how we were, how that, that related to this. And uh, I, I keep getting hung up on it because it's just so profound that he's like, let's do this. We, that, we. He, he's pushed to that brink. And I think that's where I start to have problems. Like this is what, why this, this issue means a lot to me. Cause I get angry. I'm real angry in this, this issue and we'll get to that. But it's like, I think that the reason I get so angry is because it, it's, 
you, you've pushed this man to the brink and he's almost, almost accepting part of his dream is dead. The dream that he had in his, his mind is dead, uh, or at least this version of it. He still thinks there's a, it's a possibility that humans and mutants can live in harmony, but there, some of the stuff there's no coming back from. Oh yeah. It's like, he still believes in the dream, but the methods in attaining that dream, it's like he's decided to finally go yes. further than he's ever gone before. And, and you have to, because Magneto is going farther than he ever has before. He's actually serious. Yeah. Like he's going to do things that he's only talked about doing before. And it's a major threat. It's one that they have to, to attack. And I like that you mentioned the suicide team. Cause one of my favorite moments in it is when I think it was storm and Cyclops are talking to him about it. And he's like, I get it. You wish you were on the team regardless. And they're like, I, we just don't understand. You're asking them to make this. Why didn't you ask us? Yeah. Like you don't think we're willing to die for this cause too. Yeah. Which was, which I did think was cool. Like yeah. I, I thought that was really cool. It's just, it, and again, it goes back to the choices. I feel like professor is forced to make choices and decisions. He never thought he would have to make in pursuit of this dream. And like at first I got angry because I felt like they were questioning, like, why are you saying they deserve, like they're allowed to die and we're not basically, but it's like the decision to say to yourself, okay, these people give me the best chance, but also they're less important to continuing my work. That, that is messed up. It's messed up. And, but it's, it's a real factor you have to, to think about if you're Professor Xavier. Yeah, you want your dream to carry on if you die. And looking at the roster, I totally get it. The Same. people that he takes, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a brilliantly played team, it for is. sure. Like, yeah, like, I, you can't... And from an effectiveness standpoint, Storm in space there is not going to do much because it, she could blow something out if she can conjure anything with no atmosphere. Can she conjure anything in space? I think so. Okay. I think she has before. And that I, I do too, probably in the Shi'ar thing, probably. Yeah. Uh, Dark Phoenix Saga. That's what that's called. Uh, <laughs> the Shi'ar thing. Uh, uh, and then Cyclops just, anytime he optics bla- optic blasts, if he misses, there's a hole in the hull and you're, everyone's dead. I think he even makes note of that. He, do- he does. And and I think it's, it's well, that goes back to me saying he's strategic minded. He understands, but it's still painful for him to to be the one left behind, especially when his girlfriend's going. Yeah, uh, dude. God, so, that would suck so bad. It, it would like, imagine seeing like, but he's a good soldier. This is where the boy scout comes into play. He does what he's told. Imagine being like, I finally, finally have decided a hundred percent. It's Jean gray. And now she's going, uh, off now the she's going to her death in space again. No. Speaking of Jean, uh, I, I referenced getting angry and I'm, I'm angry at two people in this, this issue. One of them's the obvious one, Magneto, because it is frustrating to hear the ravings of a madman. And you know, it's one of those, it's such a good line that is going to live forever. And I don't know if it was ever before Batman. And I know we're talking DC on a Marvel podcast, but you either die here or live long enough to become the villain. This is like truly what is happening with Magneto here. He's making that crossover and I, I, it hurts. And I'm angry when he starts to, to do this to, to Wolverine. But on a separate note, before I get to that, like, Gene uh, is just so short-sighted in this battle. You know, we, we talked about Xavier getting pushed over the edge to make some of these decisions. Gene has no grasp on reality, in my opinion. Okay, so I definitely see where you're coming from with that. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, Gene has been there since the beginning. 
She has grown with this dream like everyone else. And I almost feel like she's the one who's actually warning Xavier that if you cross this line, you're not coming back from it. And But I, I think that Xavier's resigned to, yeah, I, I am going to cross this line because this is the only way to, to serve, like for the dream to survive. He is, but I think there's a sense of like how how righteous can he be after this to pursue that dream? He's willing, he's going to be dead. It doesn't matter. So I wonder if the Jiminy cricket thing, like I'm like, I'm like, no lady, this is not (laughs) like making Magneto relive his terrible stuff is not the same as killing hospice patients or endorsing killing hospice patient patients. I know Magneto didn't do it himself. People did it in his name and he endorsed it. Yes. I, I get that. But at the same time, what about the similar arguments of, you know, the villains kill, we don't kill. So, like, I think you could make the argument that you probably should possibly kill some of these villains to be done with it. But to her, it's probably that same level. But, yeah, I I didn't care for that. It it, it just was hard because, and, and that continues on because, like, I feel like she's complicit in the dismantling of Wolverine. She is. And she's going to struggle with that. I would imagine like knowing that it's her fault. She, and and I write that later because you know, it is so exquisitely graphic. Uh, Wolverine getting a skeleton ripped out. It's another thing that I'm like, how did I not, how do I not remember this? Uh, The way that I, I feel right now. And it's just like, it starts with a tug. Yeah. It's just like it, how they're describing Magneto ripping the substance from just remember, just like think about when you like bruise or you hit your funny bone, like think about that times a million there. He's literally ripping a substance adamantium from Wolverine's skeleton. And I don't, I, I, there's no way for me to, you know, contextualize that. Uh, aside from how I already have, but the fact that it's happening is just horrifying. It's excruciating, man. Like I, I remember, so this is the comic I've read more than any other comic Mm. by far. Like I've read this comic. I don't remember the last time I read it. It's been probably over a decade, but for the longest time growing up, this is the one I read the most. This is so with that being said, it's probably my favorite comic of all time, hmm. just because I continue to go to it and be amazed at it. And it is, dude, it is excruciating. The imagery captured by Kubert and the words captured by Nitsietsa to mm-hmm. describe it as you're seeing it. Yep. It's just unreal. And it begins with a small tug, an almost gentle pull, a harder yank than a wrenching tear. And then to see all their faces as this just huge splash panel of the adamantium and liquid form ripping yep. through his pores. And, and the fact that Gene couldn't pull the trigger is why this is happening to Wolverine. Think about the ramifications. Like Think about from a writer's perspective how much fun you get to have with that story. It's true. I mean, that's a good point. I, and, but that's, that's why I've, I feel why I love this so much is because it made me feel this angry. Like I was furious that this is happening you can't control and expect the crazy person to not do wrong, but I should, and I expect more of Jean Grey than to to pull this. And I and maybe it's my naivety naivete to to think that Jean would understand, but she's the reason. 
She, yeah. Because she can't pull the trigger on taking Magneto out or his mind or make him feel these things. Wolverine, he gets a, I didn't even remember him getting a, a, a stab in. He, he oh, I like, did. Yeah, he gets that. And it's, it's that, um, <laughs> that moment where in the Simpsons, uh, Nelson gets a bloody nose and he goes, you made me bleed my own blood. And that's what this reminds me of is Magneto's like hurt, but he's like, this is over. I, we're not, you, you've wounded me and I, I respect you and the battle we've, we've had and you get the history and, and then it's just like, nope, your skeleton's ripped out. So I love that you phrase it that way because when I've talked to people before who have a very limited knowledge of comics and they ask me why Magneto is my favorite villain, mm-hmm. I talk about this issue. Yeah. And I say, look, I know now, now I say, look, I know I give Dr. Doom crap for being OP. It's totally different. This is all stuff that works within the understood powers of Magneto. Yes. Dr. Doom's is just whatever. He keeps it was. adding whatever he wants. Yeah. Yes. So that's sure. where I draw the difference. But I've often said, picture this. You've got somebody who's literally holding the space station together by sheer will fighting a strike team of X-Men physically fighting two powerful telepaths mentally at the same time. Yep. And then like, he's still even restraining himself. If you think about it. Yes. Yes. Then he gets cut and that's it. Like that's the moment where he's like, F this, I'm not holding back anymore. And then rips Wolverine's skeleton out. It's, Dude, it's the most memorable scene of any comic I have ever read all time. I would say it's up there. It's there with the killing joke, probably. Ooh, that's like, a good one. It, they're, the, as far as like memorability and like, like ramifications and how just frankly messed up both of them are, like it's just like, ugh. but I, I think that it's only possible um, by making Gene complicit. The, the feelings yeah. that I felt like it, it it's such a good, just like it's a mix up of all these different things and the anger you feel at everyone. Like, like why, how did it come to this? How are we here? It just, it makes you feel helpless. Honestly, it does, man. Oh gosh. Such, such good stuff. We could talk about that one for a full hour. We could. So we got to be careful. And that's like, (laughs) I guess. And uh, so Magneto ends up his, like becoming a vegetable basically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He took, well, he took away, what was it? His hatred, his ego, his nightmares. He took them all. I took his mind away from him. So yeah, it leaves him vegetative, but it also leaves all of the things that made him, him Mm. gone. Yeah. So when he comes out of this, what's he going to be like? Huh? Joseph. Is that, is that Joseph? Is that happening? That's what we're led to believe. Is that what happens with him? Or he's a, yeah. All I know is that that was a real messed up time in comics. Uh, I hate that time. I hate Joseph. But, uh, (laughs) Is there anything else that you, you want to get in with this? Because I feel like, I mean, we can only talk about Wolverine almost dying so much without getting into <laughs> Wolverine 75. I totally agree. So Wolverine 75 picks up right after the events of X-Men 25. Gene and Xavier in Wolverine's mind trying to keep him from dying, while Bishop and Quicksilver fly the Blackbird through space and into the Earth's atmosphere. Not being made for space, the Blackbird begins to experience problems that require Gene to use her telekinesis or TK. This leaves Xavier to be the lone telepath to keep Wolverine's mind from falling apart. Xavier sees Wolverine leaning towards going into the light and can't convince him. Otherwise at that point, the hatch of the blackboard is blackbird has broken open and Jean was unable to seal it. She's sucked out 
barely clinging to the side and shouting for help. It's a voice Wolverine hears, and it pulls him back from the light, resulting in him being the one to grab her hand and save her. A few weeks later, Wolverine attempts to prove himself in the danger room that he still can be a help to the team without his adamantium skeleton. He battles a couple of robots, and in his anger, he ends up popping out claws from his hands, bone claws. Later, he reflects with Jubilee that if they are bone, he's had them all along, and how come he can't remember them? He mentions how coming to Xavier helped him with his memory loss struggles, and he encourages her multiple times to stick with Xavier. The issue ends with him leaving letters in the middle of the night to multiple X-Men and then leaving the team. So, okay. Do we ever get to see any of the other letters, by the way? Just a Jubilee that I know of. So, most of this issue takes place on the ship coming back into uh, the the atmosphere. Yes. And all the stuff that's going on. And the biggest thing that really sticks out for me, and and I'm going to read this verbatim. I don't typically like to read my notes verbatim, but this was, again, this anger that manifested in me. (laughs) Gene and Cyclops are perfect for each other, both blind. (laughs) They are trying to save Wolverine, and Gene is worried about violating his privacy. He's in this mess because of you. And uh, that was like just right off the top of my head. I was typing. I know I was like, I'm surprised I didn't break my phone. I was like, <laughs> and, and because I, I, it baffles me that you're worried about this and you're literally holding him together. He's like a ball of mush. He is silly putty. And you're worried about, but what if we see something that he doesn't want us to see? And I get the thought of it, but prioritize lady. I mean, come on. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that. <laughs> However, <clears throat> from her perspective, she's, I know the Phoenix thing's a little dicey because they say she was in a cocoon while the Phoenix had a version of her body and whatever, but she still has memories of the Phoenix as far as I understand it. So she's probably knows she probably knows what happens when you have uncontrolled telepathic abilities and she spent her entire life, well, adult life learning to respect privacy even though she has them. So there's probably a moral dilemma inside of her brain as she's doing this, but she should err on the side of save the man's freaking life. Uh, and and I guess yes, but like why is that your first instinct? Like maybe she's she's much stronger than me because she can worry about people's privacy while trying to, to like <laughs> she can keep that segmented like if I'm putting holding someone's guts in, my my last thought is like, man, whoops, I accidentally have their wallet. <laughs> like you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like, oh, he dropped his wallet back there and I picked it up. Whoops. Uh, oh, oh, well, oh, there there goes his spleen. You know, like that's <laughs> that's not what I'm going to be worried about, but I I mean maybe it speaks to her talent as uh her psychic talent because she can do all of this and still have a moral dilemma. So maybe it's less of an indictment on her and more of just like a, this is stupid and I I don't like the situation that we're in and I'm just being a baby about it. No, I, I think it's more on her for not not realizing the the scope of what's happening. I gave you an out and you didn't take it. I know because <laughs> at the end of the day I kind of agree with you, so I don't want to like You just have to be the devil's advocate. Yes, and uh this one's actually penciled by Adam Kubert, the other Kubert doesn't matter it's so so the uh, aside from that and this is one of those things where this is that other issue where uh, i didn't realize that this book meant so much to me because i just remember like when he pops those claws out and it's it's 
oh, it's iconic. It is. It's Dude. iconic. Oh my gosh. It's and so and good. him just like the line that, and I'm sure they said it before, but it's the line that Hugh Jackman says in the first X-Men movie hurts every time. Yes. And they had to have pulled it from this because she Jubilee's like, does it stop hurting? And he's like, nope. <laughs> Cause it literally heals each time. Like, and it just made you go down again. This is my third existential crisis is like Wolverine's constantly in pain forever and ever. It yeah. doesn't, his healing factor just heals him. It doesn't mean that he's not in pain. And uh, man, you talk about, uh, this is how you do emotions, right? Because we talked to being about a little sideways that cable was like, uh, oh, I'm so emotional about my team. This is like true. He's just been through near death experience. He's you go through the danger room scene, which is crazy too, to see him like learn that he's not like, that's where they pop out the first time, yep. uh, learn that he's not invincible and as, as invincible as he thinks he is. And then it culminates in him leaving and writing this super sweet letter to Jubilee. And it's just like you, Wolverine was disassembled physically, but also mentally. Yeah. Wow. I like the way you put that. I just don't even like it. The fact that you're already seeing seeds of the, the Logan stuff, like from the origins story that happens 20 years after this, 15 years after this, whatever, where he is his name, John, like something, <laughs> James, James, you, you go back, like where you get this origins, the Wolverine origins book when he's James, this, that starts here. The, the seeds crazy. were sown here in this comic that we're reading from the nineties. <laughs> And it really, when comics are great, they're great. And they're the best freaking thing on the planet. And this was just a, the hits keep coming uncanny X-Men and then Wolverine. It, it, the hits just keep, keep on coming. And I'm sorry. I'm a little long winded about this <laughs> because I'm, I'm just so passionate about this storyline. And I, I had no freaking idea. I am so glad that you're you're this passionate about it because as I was reading these, I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe how much I'm in love with this entire thing so far. And I almost texted you after this one when I only had one left to be like, dude, this is insane. Yeah. But I was like, nope, because I hate being that guy that influences someone's opinion because then your hopes get up and then you read it and it's not going to live up to it. And I'm so thankful that it hit you the way that it did me. And speaking of that scene with him and Jubilee, where he's talking about all this and getting ready to leave. I love, love that Kubert or whoever, whichever person's idea was, I'm assuming Kubert decided to start that scene as a reflection in a pond. So they're upside down. Yes. Yes. And that was insane. Yes. Yes. The yes. The whole yes. idea of him reflecting on his life and seeing that imagery at the same time. Beautiful. Yep. Beautifully done. You're, you're in luck because I, I've been long winded everywhere else. I don't have a whole lot to say about Excalibur 71. <laughs> so Excalibur 71 to describe it as normal would take a long time. <laughs> Cause so many things happen in it, but they're not as important. Like, for instance, there's a battle between Rachel Summers and Cable. Yep. Which is pointless. So the whole the whole concept, I will just spitball these notes instead of reading them, is that Xavier and the X-Men go to Kitty Pride, yep. who's in Excalibur at the time, to ask her to reach out to Colossus 
their plan is to have her fake that she's joining Avalon and have him come down because they have learned a way to actually uh, help him revert back to his human form. That's the whole concept of it. Right. So they go through various things that take place. One of which is Rachel is on the, the pier or the, the cliff mountain cliff watching as protection and cable shows up and fights her. It's the most pointless part of the entire thing. The acolytes eventually come down to get Colossus back and there's a brief little skirmish skirmish. But other than that, that's more or less what happens in it. They revert or they help Colossus be able to revert back to human form. And that's, that's it. So, yeah, I think that for me, I, I really do think for me that this issue and we've been comparing this to executioner song the whole, whole time. So why not stop here? I think this was a better epilogue than, uh, executioner song. Now I don't mean to take away from the profoundness of, you know, the Jubilee and professor Xavier stuff, but I felt like this was what I was looking for in wrapping up executioner song, uh, in some ways. Um, but like as far as fatal attractions goes, I, I was confused. Like, did they say like, Oh, Colossus had a head injury. Uh, but then, so that was on the one when you weren't on. So there was an actual X-Men annual 17. I yeah. Think, I saw that in the notes where he had some run in that, that basically messed him up in the head and he couldn't revert. So they helped. I, I do remember that now, but that was just so he could revert back. It wasn't anything that was affecting his decisions because they were, they were, it made it oh, seem like they were, yeah. it was like why he was doing that. So I was glad even though he reverted back to human form, he still made the choice to go back with the accolades. Yeah. I think that's what makes it even more powerful. Yeah, same. So, and I think that's why I was looking for the wrap up, this type of wrap up to executioner song. And I got it here with fatal attraction. So while this wasn't my, this, this issue definitely made me feel more like have more questions like who, who's this Phoenix and what, why is she a Phoenix? Uh, which you explained <laughs> to me and I, it really feels like, uh, a send off to, fatal attractions and more so like, okay, now Excalibur also is going to be next up in Excalibur, the all new team, you know, whatever, whatever's coming there. So I liked, I liked it better as the epilogue. Yeah. I think as an epilogue, it works better than 297, 297, just, it felt like the end for, or summary for, um, three different groups of people, as opposed to this actually feeling like it was the, the teams that were involved. Yeah. So I, I I get where you're coming from from that perspective. I think that the stuff with Colossus is just deeply powerful. One of the one of my favorite shots in the entire book, maybe even the series, is when after he's converted back to human form after they've saved him, he's flipping out emotional that about everything that happened. You know, I'm her brother, I should have been there. Mm. Um and then I should have been there. And then he falls into Kitty's arms and you just like, dude, I can't believe how many comic characters they have cry in X. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Especially it's the strongest ones too. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is makes it even more powerful. This, this definitely, um, Colossus in this, and you said this to Adam last episode, last X-Men episode where you like, you understand why Colossus was Adam's favorite. And this just continues to submit. Colossus is, still feels the most human. 
Yes. Like, like he has the, he knows what he's feeling is maybe not right. Like his, this righteous anger that he has. And that's why he doesn't sound the alarm when the X-Men get there, but he also feels like he needs to do this and he returns back to finish what he started. You know, it's just, it's so good. It, it really was a, a good ending. I was, it, I was happy with the ending. And it, it has one of my favorite lines in the whole thing, which is there's the scene where Colossus is talking to Kitty about having, Xavier's dream having failed and that he tried it the professor's way. No one tried harder than him. Mm. And her response is, don't you see Peter? It wasn't the dream that failed you. It was reality. That's an excellent response. That was an excellent response. Yes. But I don't think there's a whole lot more to cover on this one. I agree. um, So ratings. Yes. Fatal attractions. So 24, we're not going to really rate. It's kind of off on its own. It didn't really fit in the other stories and it doesn't fit in here. So, 24 is if you love Gambit and Rogue, buy it because the cover is iconic. Yes. That's that's the answer on that that's one. That, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Fatal Attractions, what's your rating? Um, I say you buy it, buy it now, love it forever. Uh, buy it. Single issues, buy it. If you buy it in a trade, buy them both. Get the collectible cards that are holographic. Do whatever you can. Read it. If you are a Marvel comic fan, but especially if you're an X-Men fan, where you're looking for a way to jump on, and I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you're jumping, looking for a way to jump on, but maybe this is your first episode. This is a good point to jump on because it, it was phenomenal. 10. 10. I, I hate the fact that this is going to be the second 10 I've now given on this show, Yeah, but it's a freaking 10 for me. What was your first 10? Um, two ninety eight to three hundred. Okay, because yeah. three hundred was so good. Yeah, with Ramita that it was just really hard not to. Yeah, not this, to praise that one. This is definitely a ten. This I w- is definitely a 10. I wish I would have given a nine point five on that one. Sure, like to compare. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, this is this is just absolutely phenomenal. This is phenomenal. If you're looking for a great place to understand why people love and hate Magneto all at the same time read these comics yeah you're going to be confused no matter what this is a this is as good a time to jump on as any <laughs> like, like you're going to be just as confused as me the rachel summers is a phoenix and which phoenix is she you yeah. know that stuff days of future past yes but I, no matter what like this just buy it put it in your collection buy it it's so good Agreed. And for a full list of upcoming shows, please visit marvelmythos.com. If you see any there that you want to get us some thoughts on before we record, keep in mind that we record two weeks in advance normally. (laughs) There are some exceptions, this being one of them, which is why we don't have a second opinion for it. However... Uh, if you would like to be a part of our second opinion program, please visit the website, check that out. Then email me at marvelmythospodcast at gmail.com or uh, hit me up on Instagram at Marvel underscore mythos or on Twitter at Marvel mythos pod. And next week we're going to be covering the amazing Spider-Man 381 to 385. We'll see you next time. be able to revert back to human form and that's that's it it felt (laughs) (laughs) way to go austin (laughs) it was just it was not the sound it was this 
all I saw was shoulders, like <laughs> shoulders, this like just the highest shoulders ever. You could have shoulders, like just the cr- the Whoa. cringe he felt like. And I know, I know, like I know him so well now that I just know, like he died inside. Like there's a part of him that died yeah, no. while, while eating pizza. <laughs> yeah, I know that was my other thought. I almost interrupted you. I was like, Fuck, I want some pizza. Um, <laughs> Because it sounds good now. But War Priest. War Priest. 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, hey. Whatever. As our wives text us and say, where are you? You only live <laughs> You only live once. Yes, I live with Austin now. Fun fact, I've never been of, I've never appeared on a podcast swearing. I've really? Always, I've always Me either. Cut it. <laughs> 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 I've always... Now, now, I usually don't laugh at my own shit, but it was Austin's, like, delayed reaction that got me. Yes. Like, it was, that was, like, that really got me. Oh, that got me really yeah, good. Yeah, I always cut it completely out of the context of the conversation like it never happened. I don't even believe it. Really? Even on the people on the pressure. And I don't even know if that would sound good either. It would be like, bleep.